It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. My father, uh, I suppose the last... Uh, 70 years has given the most remarkable devoted service uh, to the Queen, to my family and uh, to the country and also to the whole of the Commonwealth and as you can imagine uh, my family and I miss my father enormously he was a a much loved and appreciated figure and uh, Apart from anything else, I can imagine, and we're so deeply touched by uh, the number of other people here and elsewhere around the world in the Commonwealth who also, I think, share our loss and our sorrow. And uh, my my dear papa was uh, was a very special person who, I think, above all else, would have been amazed by the reaction and the touching things that have been said about him. And from that point of view, we are, my family, deeply grateful for all that. It will sustain us in this particular loss and at this particularly sad time. Thank you. That was Prince Charles uh, talking about his father, the Duke of Edinburgh, uh, Prince Philip, who was married to the Queen, 99 years old. Uh, just died recently, and we haven't really talked about that. I am a fan of Prince Philip. I'm a fan of this queen. Uh, No one really represents uh, the royal family any better than that couple, and their story is just legendary. Uh, The statement that was issued out of the palace was, it is with deep sorrow that Her Majesty the Queen has announced the death of her beloved husband, His Royal Highness, the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. And, And remember that she met him when she was 13 years old. He was 18 years old. He was part of the military. He was from Greece. He was part of a royal family, the royal family in Greece, connected to the royal family in Great Britain. He was noble himself, noble birth. Uh, And then they married and made this powerhouse couple, were married for 73 years. There's so much more to say about it, but Britain is currently in mourning about that, and they are our cousins across the ocean. And I always enjoy, I guess uh, because part of me is British, I always enjoy all things uh, Great Britain. I'm very concerned about that country. And uh, one of my favorite people to talk about that country is Katie Hopkins. I would say Katie's a femme fatale from Great Britain. That's what I call her, the British <laughs> femme fatale. <laughs> she uh, kind of uh, burst on the uh, American scene on The Apprentice in 2007. Uh, she was a writer for the Daily Mail for a number of years. She had her own television show. She's written, and you've seen her everywhere. She attended, by the way. Uh, Katie has a very serious mind. She's got... Uh, um, a great presentation. She's funny, and um, she has that high Q factor for entertainers, but she's a serious mind. She attended the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst. And uh, Katie, uh, can I ask you a question about that? Didn't uh, Winston Churchill attend Sandhurst? 
Yes, so it's one of those places that um, kind of, I don't want to say the word groomed, but when our leaders are being groomed to lead the country, that's where they go. So that's where our royal family went as well, Prince uh, William, Prince Harry, oh no, sorry, Prince Harry, Prince William went to uh, Air Force, I believe. So yeah, it's the sort of place that, uh, and we get a lot of Saudi princes actually sending their their princeling sons to the Royal Military Academy. It's seen as a kind of a, a place to send future leaders. And it's a tough course. It's a year long. I uh, started yeah. off as one of 30 girls out of a, an academy <laughs> of 240 boys and passed out as one of eight. Wow. So uh, you have a, you have every reason to be proud of graduating, uh, Katie, and doing <laughs> that. And I, and I wanted to point that out because I sometimes when you're funny, people don't take you seriously intellectually. Oh, that's a, for yeah. you, that would be a mistake. And so I'm just, I Aww. just want people to know who we're well, talking to. Now, let's talk about Prince Philip. Uh, I, I already said that I, I, I was a great admirer of him and of his wife. Uh, but I, w- from your perspective as a Brit, what's the significance of his death? Oh, I mean... It's really hard. And when people speak about him being sort of the grandparent of the nation, you know, the nation's grandfather, um, that's exactly how I feel. He's, he's that sort of, a bit like my granddad in a way. So my granddad was also 99 when he died. And it's that sort of elderly, elderly statesman type figure that he's a member of your family. And yet you're, you don't speak to them every day because they're too kind of, elderly and important, but that you know that they're in your life and your life's better for it. That's how I felt about my own granddad, my children's great-granddad. And that's exactly how I feel about Prince Philip as well. And um, so it does feel very personal and, and super respectfully to Americans. You know, there's always been a sort of sense of, I don't really get the royal family. You know, I hear, I hear that a lot. And I suppose my best, my best way of explaining it is that for so many of us, they're just intrinsic to our lives. They've always been there. They've always been um, people we look to in times of crisis or in times of great celebration. It's the queen that has the final word. And it's Prince Philip who was always, always, all his life at her shoulder. He was always the guy who stood next to her. I remember one of my favorite stories about him, and it's somewhat cruel in, in outcome, but the queen has this brilliant parade where, where boats and and um, respected people go up and down the Thames. You know, it's an old, ancient tradition. She stood there that day in the cold and the rain watching these boats go past as a flotilla, and he stood right by her side, and he was very, very unwell. He was hospitalized, I think, for a week after that. But the point was he never left her side, no matter what. And so so I think that helps maybe articulate it just from a sort of human point of view. Um, and then there are some other elements to this as well in terms of the very unkind reaction by younger people and a hashtag black Twitter uh, in the UK and watching some of the disrespect because people perhaps disagree with the monarchy or whatever has been really hard to watch as well. Yes. Uh, you know, I was reading... To to go to his character and his steadfastness yeah. next to her, I wish I had the words in front of me, but I read an account of uh, something he said, I think, in the 90s, and he talked about, uh, he was very open, it was a BBC interview, and he said, uh, you know, he was a military veteran, he had just been, uh, uh, um, achieved the rank of commander, and was very excited about that when Elizabeth's father died young, and she had to become queen, and he had to step down from his post, and uh, he was asked about how he felt about that. He was very honest. He said, of course, it was very disappointing, very hard, but I felt like the most important thing 
in my life. With I, I was married to the queen, and I needed to support her in any way I could. I thought that, especially in the light of the account of uh, the the um, oh, the royals, that Netflix series, I think, yeah. uh, they portray Philip uh, very differently. In fact, I'd love to know what you. I don't know if you saw that, uh, and yeah. what you would, what your response to that would would have been. Yes, and uh, and I think you're, you're exactly right. And, and then you know, let's remember that's at a time when you know things aren't as they are now. Or goodness me, I mean, how are things now? But what I mean is, it was in a time before you know, the advancement of females or females in the workplace or females having that leading role. So him willing to being willing to step down from his whole world for a woman, for her to be the most prominent person, you know, takes on extra significance. And I can tell you my family, my mum and dad still going strong, you know, three o'clock on Christmas Day is the Queen's speech. And I'm telling you, if we're not all sat, sat quietly and my children, and I know one day my children's children, watching the Queen at three o'clock, um, although we won't have our Queen forever, uh, then we're in trouble. My father, you know, that's an absolute, that's an absolute <laughs> must every year. So, so this, I think, you know, listen, it's so easy to criticize the royal family. It's so easy to do a easy TV series and make him out to be some sort of blustering idiot or racist old fool. It's so easy for some trailer trash actress to appear on Oprah and completely dismantle the royal family. But, you know, a lifetime of service is something that most uh, D-list actresses will never know. And and so that's what stays true for a great deal of, of British people who, who respect and treasure our royal family. I view Prince uh, Philip as a, you know, a man of his age. I, he, I think it's pretty remarkable that he was able to do what you described uh, st- during that time period of time, oh. the manly man that he was stepped down from his commander post to support his wife, who was now the queen. And he had to walk behind her. He had to defer to her. And yet he kept his manhood and he kept his sense of humor and he kept his opinions. Yeah. I mean, oh. I, he, he did not lose anything by doing that to me. No, and, and, and you know, people say that they were his royal gaff. You know, they make out like he shouldn't have said the things he did. You know, we always look back, don't we, and we judge things on now. But in their time, I remember my family roaring with laughter. Some of his expressions, and I'm being cautious here because this is your radio show, but, you know, he, he was at the World Wildlife Fund. He was stood there as the patron to give a speech. And he said, if it's got four legs and you don't sit on it, it's not a chair. If it's got two legs and it flies and it's not an aeroplane, if it can swim in the sea and it's not a submarine, the Cantonese will eat it. <laughs> I, just, I just love the man. I love his heart. I love his soul. And I think he probably laughed long and hard in his life. And that's a glorious thing. Yes, and you see the, the uh, oh, we could talk, I guess we could talk for hours about this, Katie. It is kind of fun. I, you can only speculate, but it seems to me that he was such a great example uh, for his sons. I don't know that his sons have turned out as well as his grandson. Uh, but um, yeah, he was a real example of manhood for his boys. No question so about true. that. Hey, do you know anything so about, true. what can we know, uh, uh, in brief, what can we know about his relationship with his uh, sons and grandsons? Yes, I think we can see. Um, I think especially it comes across in images where he's caught in, in fleeting moments or glimpses or glances, and you see the laughing gentleman. Um, you know, I think particularly with, uh, Prince Charles, who clearly has a very close relationship, the way he speaks about his papa, is just so, so sweet. And then I think also, in particular, uh, he was a sort of a beacon of an example that he set for William. You hear that in the way that William made his remarks after 
his passing and for Harry, um, you know, that, that he was a figure of fun. He was someone who could laugh with and have a good time with. And I imagine they had a great time together. But he really, we will never see the like of that man again. And we will never see, I don't believe, service of that like again. And, and when you think of the Queen who said, I will dedicate my life, whether it be uh, long or short, to the service of this country. And when she said that, you know, she spoke for both of them because that's precisely what he did. And, and, and right through till the end, he was walking in to that hospital when he must have been so hurting and so poorly. And I think that just is the measure of, of the man that he is. Well, uh, yes, I, I agree with you. Uh, so, but I'm, I'm speaking at it from a distance and you have a closer look. Uh, the, the, the way things are going to play as, as out, as I understand it, is he did not want a big funeral. And because of the COVID restrictions, uh, they probably wouldn't be one anywhere. So there'll be a small, intimate ceremony. And now we know that the, you know, the infamous couple that you alluded to a few minutes ago, Harry and Meghan, Harry is coming, Meghan is not. All right, you have to tell me your thoughts about all of that. Uh, I know, there are a lot of thoughts, but uh, yeah. Aren't you glad she's not coming? I mean, I tell you, I would not want to be, uh, and this is obviously now diverting away from my respect for the royal family, but I would not want to be Prince Harry returning to the UK to go to the funeral of a grandfather that in, I would suggest, many British people's eyes, let's speak for myself, in my eyes, Prince Harry absolutely contributed to and would have been a great sadness uh, for that man in his final months and weeks. And what, what Harry and that woman did for the royal family in those last few months of his life was absolutely a, a heinous thing to do. And, and I really wonder about him coming back. I, I know it's right for him to come back. I think he should come back. In fact, I wish he'd come back, make up with his brother and stay home with us and never return to yeah, uh, that well, woman. But I, um, I, I, yeah. I, I think it's, a very, it's going to be a very, very difficult time for him. And I don't see him being received well by the British public. Katie, uh, uh, I have a few more questions about the Royals. I guess I've just didn't run out of that yet. So let's take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you some things about um, the whole business of being a consort and why some people that marry royalty are consorts and others become kings and queens. It's confusing to us. And also what you think the next step is because the, the Queen Elizabeth is not young and Charles is the heir and just all the speculation there, Rob. I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, so stay tuned. Our guest is Katie Hopkins. Katie Hopkins, the, again, British femme fatale. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. Well, the royal family is uh, still grieving uh, their father, their grandfather, Duke of Edinburgh, uh, the wife of the Queen. Uh, what a great man. He really was a great man. We've just spent time talking about it. Katie Hopkins is from Great Britain, and, of course, uh, she's... Uh, as she's already described, it's a very, uh, it's a very great loss. I think Americans can understand it, Katie, a little bit, well, <laughs> if they know American history, because Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president for like 12 years uh, because of the unusual times in which he served. And when he died, uh, I think Americans pretty much felt like they'd lost uh, their grandfather. And uh, so I think in some ways, older Americans can understand why you all are so attached to him. But um, let's talk for a second. I'm just curious about some some nuts and bolts things that don't make sense to me. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Queen Elizabeth II, the current queen, wasn't her mother the queen mother? Yes, her mother was the queen mother, which is the same because in my, in my head and my heart, like my initial gut reaction is, oh yeah, our queen mother. But of course, 
she's not around anymore either. But in my heart, somehow she still is. So that's interesting. But okay. yes, oh. exactly. The Queen Mother. All right. So, so the Queen Mother was married to the King, King George. Uh, so why <laughs> was she a queen? But Philip, who was of royal blood from both sides of his family and related to the British royal families also, why did why was he not a king? Do you know? <laughs> and and <laughs> this Tell is me. Sadly, or I think maybe it's re- representative of maybe quite a few British people, although there's much smarter people out there than me. There are elements to this royal family I don't understand either. Like, I understand that um, Prince Charles is next in line to the throne, so he would become king, but at no point would Camilla, his wife, become queen because she would become uh, you know, whatever she, whatever title she has, she would just keep that. She would have become queen. So I'm guessing that the lineage passes to one person, but I don't know the rule as to why one person's a consort and another doesn't become king or queen because they're married to the person who's king or queen. Katie, you got to find that out, and we have to talk about that next time we yeah. have a conversation. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's go back to uh, Harry and Meghan. I don't usually talk about tabloid stuff on my show because there's so much important news, but yeah. I, I have to weigh in on this because I, I have to ask you some questions because it's interesting to me. I saw uh, most of her interview with Oprah Winfrey because I like to know what's going on in the world. Um, I, after that, I, I haven't been following this that closely. But what I did see, someone sent me a, a series of photos of a Meghan Markle dressed just like Princess Diana. And I don't mean uh, uh, similar. I mean like in almost identical clothing, famous clothing, and striking the poses that Diana would strike. Like once she's an Indian, she has a scarf around her neck and she's looking up like as to heaven. And Meghan in a, another frame has the exact same thing on, same color scarf, looking up the same way. And I, I just thought that was strange. And then the fact that she did this interview that was shocking, talking about her depression, is exactly what Diana did. It just made me wonder, what's... I know you don't know. We don't know. But what is there kind of a common understanding that she's kind of imitating Diana or trying to? That's what it seemed like to me. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, would, I would worry for that girl if she ever did come back to the UK and try to do anything in public, um, because I think... Many British people are, you know, see her as the reason that the royal family took such a hit over the last years or so. Um, you know, let, let's be really clear here. This isn't some sort of anti-someone anything. She, for the first six months that she was in Prince Harry's life, everybody was delighted because somehow Prince Harry was all our sons as well. And we wanted him to be happy because scorched into our memories that seared into our brains is the image of those two little boys walking behind their, I mean, get to going every time, walking behind their mother's coffin. Ever since that image, which is still with all of us, we wanted that boy to be happy and we thought he'd found it. Um, But what she's done subsequently and what she's done to Harry and therefore our prince has been just terrific to watch. And you cannot help but notice um, that she appears to be mimicking Diana every step. She sees herself as the new Lady Diana. And I know from internal sources working as I did on the newspapers uh, that on her first date with, you know, Prince Harry, she wore Lady Diana's perfume that she'd researched and she wore that perfume on their first date. And I don't know if people have lost people, your listeners will understand. Smell is one of those senses that connects us most kind of viscerally to the people that we've gone before or that we've lost. You can smell something and remember someone. 
So I think, um, you know, my views on, on Meghan have always been clear. And, and what's unfortunate in an era of Black Lives Matter is that race has been brought into it and she has used that as a powerful weapon in her armory, suggesting that one of the royal family were racist about her future baby. I don't think colour has anything to do with what went on. I think it's just basic standards. And we saw that she was not in this to serve uh, the British people and serve the royal family. She was in it for herself. Just one last observation. I am holding my hand. Uh, uh, one of the many, fo- I printed out a Fox article that shows Prince Philip and uh, uh, and Harry and uh, the other brother, whose name Andrew. Yeah, uh, so standing, Harry and William and Philip. Yeah. Yes, and they're they're in their uniforms, looking up. They all look. They're all laughing. They look so happy. And I, the thing that struck me was how handsome and healthy Harry looked. He he looked wow. he looks different in this picture than he did like yeah. on that Oprah interview. He did. Yeah. He looked disturbed to me. He did not yeah. look. He, he looked disturbed. I don't know what else right. to say. You're so right, and I think I think it's a sort of female mothering thing. We see it. If that was my son, I'd be very worried. I look at him now; he's pale. He doesn't smile as much. He used to be. He used to bring the fun. You could see North. I mean, I I kind of saw a kindred spirit in some way. You could see naughtiness written across his heart, and he he <laughs> was just so joyous, especially in his uniforms. He used to love the Marines, and that all that has been taken from him. Well. He gave all that away. He lost all of that. And he's lost so much of himself. He's just in these shabby clothes now, that dreadful suit. He looks unhappy and she's clearly the boss and she's in charge. And and it's a dreadful shame to see uh, a decent man um, be reduced to what he's been reduced to now. I agree with you. All right. Well, we're going to, as the British people mourn, we'll be watching. I understand it's not going to be a big event, but that there'll be several days of mourning, right? Like... Ten days for the Queen or eight days, something like that. The families will yeah, wear yeah. black, and, and then they'll have their service. Well, all right. Last time we talked, Katie, um, speaking of sadness and mourning, you were trying to buy seeds to plant your garden. It's been now a year, probably, something like that. Uh, and Britain was just shutting down, and you couldn't even get seeds to plant. And we talked about what the shutdowns were doing in Great Britain. Can you tell us, give us an update about Ooh, what your beloved well, country yeah. is like right now? Yeah, I mean, golly, that's your memory's fantastic. But um, yeah, that's right. I went to this garden center that was trying to stay open and I bought, I was trying to buy seeds and I bought a tomato plant and I was reported to the police for going to a garden center, supporting their business and buying a tomato plant. And I was, I think we talked just after and I was like, come on then, sure, come and arrest me for buying a tomato plant. So, and and, and tragically, um, my country has continued on a downhill trajectory since then, three lockdowns, which have meant more or less continuous lockdown, we're still absolutely locked down today at this minute in the UK. There are virtually zero cases, but all of us know there's no rational reason for locking down. Um, we are not allowed to leave our homes. We're not allowed to be more than seven miles from our homes to get groceries. We're only allowed to go grocery shopping uh, as individuals. You're not allowed to go with anybody else. You're not allowed to go on holiday. It is illegal in the UK to go on holiday, illegal. There are billboards that express that. It is illegal to leave the country in the UK. Our children have to be tested every morning before they're allowed to go onto school premises. Schools are shut for a year. And my children, two of them, I have three, two of them decided of their own volition. I I try not to influence or interfere in, in the way that people might imagine I do. 
uh, they'd chosen not to do the testing, it came out that they were still allowed to go to school, but they have to wear a sticker. And the sticker, I mean, how close to history do we have to get? The sticker indicates to their friends that they don't respect their classmates and are in fact are therefore unclean. Me? Are you kidding me? Wait, say, Katie, you have to say that again. They have to wear a sticker. What does the sticker say? Um, it's just a white sticker, a large white sticker. So it's not quite a yellow, uh, a yellow badge just yet. But they have to wear a sticker to show that they refused to be tested or didn't comply, rather, with testing, and therefore they're unclean. It doesn't say unclean, but it's made clear to the class uh, that the people that didn't test have not complied and are not there for the benefit of the team. Oh my gosh. Are you finding that many people are taking that step? Are there very many children who are whose parents are um supporting them and not and not being tested or or vaccinated? No. No, and that's the reason this compliance is so powerful is because you'll know anybody any parent knows. You know, for a young person fitting in has never been more acute. You know, the pressure to fit in with your opinions, with your looks, with your dress, with your face, with your hair. Uh, so then you have that. Then you have the COVID, you know, that everyone's been brainwashed by that somehow we're all going to die immediately. That's another level. And so it's, you know, it's much easier for people to side with the mob. One of my children said, I'm just going to have the test, mum, because it's not worth the aggro. And we all understand how that feels with masks and things. So no, they're very singled out, um, but but they've made their choices. They're pretty firm on it, and and at any time if they needed to fold, I would understand. Um, but yeah, I mean we are we are far down a dark path. And if I could just briefly say one thing that's going to sound like complete craziness, and no one's going to believe me, but I believe within five years British people will not be allowed to own their own vehicle. We will not be allowed to own a car. You can see all the steps coming. That's why this seven-mile radius has been put in place. I think they're going to take away cars from the British people within the next five years. And that, why would that be? Because of global warming or because of climate yeah. change? Well, <laughs> under the under the guise, I mean, you can already see the trajectory. It reaches right out here into America. That Green New Deal was never about being accepted wholesale. It was about setting a far distant parameter of what you know, to make you think that the small steps they then make, the grabs of your freedom, are somehow acceptable as a compromise. Um, they will grab cars under the premise, so instead of COVID, it will be green agenda, and they will say that we cannot have cars anymore. They're already banning petrol and diesel cars by 2024. They're already uh, digging up our roads and replacing them with cycle lanes, and you can see where this is headed. Once we come out of this crucifixion of our country. People won't own anything anymore. They won't be able to own property. They won't be able to own their own car, and we will all be under state control. That, that's where we're headed in the UK right now. Well, that That's really shocking to me. I knew it was bad. We played a clip of a couple in Wales uh, just out walking, and uh, they were arrested. The husband was arrested by the police, and just the, the interaction between them and the police was Chilling. And so that that stuff I knew, but this is some completely different. And it's ironic to me, Katie, that in the UK, the, the um, I, to correct me if I'm wrong, the AstraZeneca, wasn't that the one that came out of Britain? Isn't that yes. the... Oh, yeah, AstraZeneca, yep. And, and it's the one that's been linked to all the, the blood clotting. Yeah. It's just a, a, yep. ironic, I think, well, ironic in a sad way. Uh, that the, yep. uh, the the vaccine coming out of Great Britain seems to be having such a detrimental effect on people. Just say something about that. Yes, well, it actually uh, it came out of Oxford, and it's called, as you rightly say, the AstraZeneca 
um, vaccine and the links between it and clotting, particularly in younger females, 30, 35, 40, a number of people who've had it had clotted on the brain and have dropped dead as a result. Um, and the reason, I guess, my insights are coming from people who email me direct because I'm one of the voices that remains in the UK, um, despite being in America, uh, is I have emails from inside our socialised healthcare service, uh, a radiologist who works inside the socialised healthcare. If she, if she was caught emailing me, I mean, I don't even know what would happen to her. And she says it is now um, standard procedure. If someone comes in with headaches after a vaccine, they go to radiology and they scan their brains. And, and she's basically emailing me saying, on what planet is it normal that we would do a brain scan of an individual who just happens to have a headache after a vaccine? So she, she's like, she can't even believe she's working in a place where that's being pretended that that's normal. Um, and it fills me with, you know, absolute horror what people are what people are doing to themselves and what these vaccines what they will eventually do to people, I don't know. Um, and I'm respectful of people that choose to have them, like that's your choice. But I think many of us, maybe your listeners too, would say, leave us also make our own decisions. You know, my body, my choice is okay for them at one point, but now, of course, it's mm-hmm. not my body, my choice. And they're coming for our kids next. And you can yeah. see that already. I've seen it on American news channels talking about how the next COVID strain is particularly bad for children. And the reason, of course, for that is they're trying to vaccinate your kids next. Well, they're also reporting that, uh, I've forgotten which, which vaccine, it just escapes me, but one of the other two uh, are bragging that they have tried their vaccine on children and it's been almost 100% mm-hmm. effective. Well, Johnson, children Johnson, hardly maybe. get, children don't get, hardly get COVID. I mean, so to, mm-hmm. this, the claim itself is uh, ridiculous on its face. Uh, but um, Katie, in terms of, I feel the same way you do about the vaccine. Uh, I know a lot of, I have friends that have gotten it. Uh, I have, I know I have listeners that have gotten it as well. I, I don't, I don't want to take it. I have no interest in taking it, but I don't tell people one way or the other, they have to make their judgments. Um, but uh, when it comes to like passports and the need to have vaccines in order to do business and have a life, I would, we have to take a break here, but when we come back, let's talk about that for a second because I really don't know where you are with that in Great Britain, and uh, I'd like to know. I, I also want to know how the British people are doing. Uh, just your take sure. on that. So uh, stay tuned. My guest again is Katie, Katie Hopkins, and we're talking about all things Great Britain, uh, our cousins over there uh, who are a step ahead of us in this uh this dissembling of uh, Western civilization, and uh, but but uh, yeah, stiff upper lip like our, our uh, that's what they always say in Britain. Have a stiff upper lip, and that's what we have to have. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. It is very, very important for everybody to understand that the reduction in these numbers in hospitalizations and in deaths and in infections has not been achieved by the vaccination program. People don't, I think, appreciate that it's the lockdown that has been overwhelmingly important in 
delivering this improvement in uh, in the in the uh, the pandemic and in the figures that we're seeing. And so, uh, yes, of course, the vaccination program has helped, but the bulk of the work in reducing the disease has been done by the lockdown. So, as we unlock, the result will inevitably be that we, we will see uh, more infection. Uh, we, uh, sadly, we will see more hospitalisation and, 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 and deaths. And people have just got to understand that. All right, so that's Boris Johnson. That must bring you a mixture of feelings, Katie, because uh, when we first started talking, you were such a great fan of his, and I was yeah. too. Uh, and he was pushing mm-hmm. Brexit, and Brexit went through, and then suddenly COVID hit, and he went south in a major way. How much of what's happening in Britain do you lay at his feet? Oh, uh, I lay, uh, well, mm, that's a, it's a sort of dual question. So I was going to say I lay 100% of this at the feet of Boris Johnson, except, of course, I don't. I lay it at the feet of whoever got a hold of him in about March 2020. Something went on with Boris Johnson. It wasn't that he got COVID and it wasn't his girlfriend. Someone went to that man with either something they had on him or they offered him a seat at the New World Order table. I don't know what. And he turned on a dime from being Mr. Brexit, my future husband, the guy that I was supporting. And I'm so sorry for everybody that I duped. Uh, with my support of Boris, and he turned into a man absolutely delighted to crucify the country. And just listening to him there saying the reason that our numbers dropped was due to lockdown. I mean, when was seasonal flu last very prevalent in the spring and summer months? I mean, I'm not even going to try and argue in a rational way because these people are nonsense. But the the, the way our country is suffering, I just lost a friend yesterday to um, to lockdown not to COVID. She just simply couldn't find a rational reason to continue. We've got schools with three, four, five, 16, 14-year-olds now dead due to lockdown. Our socialised healthcare stopped treating cancer patients. We will lose them to lockdown. The number of dead through lockdown will be at a scale unseen before, I think, in human history. It's just, I don't know, my, my heart breaks for my country. My heart breaks for it too. My heart breaks for my country. I, my my son, as you know, Katie's in Scotland. He's getting ready to come back to the states, and I think he's going to actually move to Hong Kong. Which what could be worse than that? But he said to me, uh, "Mom, there's no place safe now. There's no place safe in the world." And I think he's uh, I think he's right, uh, Katie. This is a new a new time. Um, yeah, he's but, right. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's um, come back to something. <clears throat> Look, there's still good life to be had, and uh, I believe, as a Christian, I believe that God expects us to do the next thing, like just stay the course and do the next thing, and that includes uh, enjoying life as much as we can while taking the events of this world seriously. And that is what you're doing. You're here in the United States right now, uh, doing lots of appearances, and I, I would love for people to know where you are and where people could see you. Oh, you're so darling. Thank you. Well, yes. Yeah, so I had to break back into America um, because I'm banned from America, not just for being me, although that will come one day, uh, <laughs> but for my kind of British Ebola. I'm banned from leaving the UK. But, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And so I did 22 days in Mexico City uh, hiding away in order to break <laughs> into your brilliant country. Uh, I did three You should have just come off Colorado the border. Katie, Katie, with, you should just yeah. come across the border. Why did you go to all that trouble? You could have been here earlier than that. You could have been yeah, in one of those detention I'm centers. To, I'm not allowed into your country right now. No, no, I'm making a bad joke. Uh, we have all these people coming across the border illegally. Oh, I you see. could have stayed in one yeah, of the yeah. detention centers. Well, that, that was plan B. 
So the plan B is Mexico City was if I didn't make it onto the plane, um, that some guys from California were going to come and bring me over the border. So that actually was, uh, there was actually a legitimate plan. But anyway, I did uh, two weeks across Colorado with brilliant patriots there, 18 dates in two weeks, uh, 350, 400 people in a church, 300 people in Colorado Springs. And now I'm in LA in the belly of the beast. I'm looking at the Lux Hotel and there's two nights. Last night was stand up at the Lux, both sold out, a night of just comedy, laughter, ridiculing the situation we're in. And I tell you, watching that room of people fall about laughing, <laughs> it's just lifted me up. Like, I'm overjoyed today and I'm ready to go back there tonight. Uh, Brandon Strack was brought on as a special guest and a surprise for me. And um, so that was pretty emotional after what's happened to Brandon Strack. And then um, if people would like to come see me, I would love to see you. Please do come. People are flying in from all over the place. Uh, the 16th. Uh, the 16th, I will be in Nevada County in Sacramento, Nevada County in California. And then on the 18th, I will be in Lake County, that's Sacramento. And on the 21st, I will be in Murrieta, which is kind of inland empire. So so do come find me. Um, get on Instagram, underscore Katie, underscore Hopkins, underscore. Just, just I will always be posting where I'm going to be. Um, things are selling out really fast because people want to be together. And I tell you what, when we're together, our side is such the side of joy. And this is the side to be on. And there is still hope because, you know, the best of us are tested in the strongest of fires. Uh, And if this isn't a fire, I don't know what is. Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, all right, so just to regret, so you can, it's it's on Instagram, Katie Hopkins. Yeah. And so your your dates, September 16th, Nevada County in Sacramento, 18th in Lake County, and Meriwether. Marietta on the 21st. 21st Marietta, that's with Pastor Tim Thompson, and that's our watch now, 7 p.m. in Marietta. It's in the church. It's free for everybody. Everybody's welcome. Okay. Can they watch it online? Yep. Our watch now goes online, and there are there's footage coming out from the Lux that was filmed last night. You, you know, it just needs a bit of salt. You know, my language can be a little salty. Uh, it was definitely a uh, an open evening and freedom, and uh, but it will make you laugh. So I'll make sure those videos get put out there. I'm on um, Gab at Katie Hopkins and Parlay. I try and push it everywhere, and yeah. Katie Hopkins official on YouTube. Okay, um, Katie, you talked about Brandon Stracker. Now, honestly. Uh, he's the founder of uh, uh, um, Walk Away, yeah. the Walk Away movement. The one thing that I should say before I ask you about him, uh, January 6th, a lot of my listeners were there, and I almost was there myself. I wish I had been. We had some health problems here, and we couldn't. I still wish I could had been there. So we're covering this a lot. A lot of people that we care about are going through heck about this. And so Brandon Straka was arrested. That I, This is actually new to me. I, I don't know how I missed his story, but tell us what's happened to him. Uh, update us on that if you could. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I was there on the 6th as well. I was held by Homeland Security for 12 hours at Heathrow Airport until Louis Gohmert intervened. So I was there as curfew fell. Brandon Stratt was there to speak to the crowd uh, where I would have been. Um, A few days later, FBI broke down his door. Eight men grabbed him, grabbed all of his kits. He was thrown in jail uh, for two days without knowing what charge, what, what he was facing, nothing. Um, and when he came out of that, he's now uh, not able to fly, not able to travel. He's He's got to be quiet, according to his lawyer and legal team. Uh, and he's just waiting for his court date, which will be in May, May 24, I believe. 
Um, but last night he was, he applied for special permission from uh, Homeland Security and the FBI. He was allowed to fly here. And then they brought him in as a surprise for me. And I was like, what a present <laughs> is this? And it was just, he was anxious a little. I don't think Brandon would mind me saying this because he's been locked away on his own, keeping himself to himself at home. He, he wasn't sure how it would be to be amongst people. And then to watch the room just get up on their feet and applaud him. You know, an emotional night for Brandon, an emotional night for me, and truly uh, an indicator of the sort of grassroots people who've made such a difference to our movement. And I will say just as, you know, I think an important and pertinent point is that when people find themselves in real strife and trouble, you know, that's when you know who your allies are. And Brandon, I think, would say some people came towards him to, to hold him and other people ran away to better protect themselves. And, and that's when we, you know, our side, the strongest of us, will always run towards each other when we're in trouble. And that's something I would always encourage your listeners to do is run towards uh, the person on our team that's in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that, Katie. A big, uh, a big shout out for courage for all of us. I think that courage is not an option. I say that. Courage is not an option. It's certainly not an option for Christians. It is an absolute essential, and one of the things that I'll repeat this, and I'll tell you too, in Revelation, one of the first people listed that will not be in heaven are the cowards, the cowards. And so we think there are a lot of sins that God does not uh, favor. (laughs) He doesn't like sin, uh, but he doesn't like cowards, and that was the first on the list, and I just think it's worth pointing out and mentioning to people again. I I noticed one thing, uh, coming back to Britain and courage, you, I saw a video of you uh, announcing that you were joining the UKIP party, UKIP party in Britain. What did that mean to you and why? Yeah, so yeah, UKIP, so UK Independence Party. Originally, it was the original source of Brexit, right back at the root of the whole thing. It was, uh, Farage was in there. It was the original founding father of an idea that we needed to stand alone as an island. Uh, and it's lost its way. Um, boys have been boys and fallen out and leadership has left and all the rest. Uh, I just need to make one move into a political arena so that in future years, if I was to go into some sort of political uh, movement, I feel like I, I have a place held. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's really why I they approached me to join. I joined UKIP just so I have a position in a political party, should I ever... Uh, make a real stand. But I have to say that at the moment, uh, my heart will always, well, my heart will always be with grassroots um, and regular people like myself, uh, because I know that's where the power is. That's where the power is in California, 2.2 million people, not just signing a petition, but but willing change to happen and schooling a governor and showing other governors that you're not beyond the reach of the people um, and giving people hope. And I, I think, and um, I guess my call to action and my call to arms to anybody on our side, and I'm talking about the boys here that stand in big conference rooms at CPAC, is let's not do so much of that. I get out of those big conference centers and those expensive bills and those, you know, nice little fees for speaking, and let's get out, get out to grassroots. You know, let's get out to where the people actually are. Bring yourself to them. Don't ask grassroots to come to you. Um, and that's the reason I'm out here, and that's the reason... I'm getting out and about as far as I can is because we need to take our message to people, not ask people to come to us. That makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of people are doing that. And I'm with you, Katie. Uh, the energy, uh, people are not fooled. 
They are not fooled. Uh, there's yep. a lot of propaganda going on, but there are a lot of smart people out there. People yep. of all colors and stripes and backgrounds are saying, "Wait a minute, we're not we're not going to play that game." And as as much as it seems like seems like people are caving, a lot of people are not caving. And so be encouraged. I know that you are. I, I'm curious about your answer to this. I know that you really liked Donald Trump. So did I. Um, so I'm curious to know, from your perspective, what has the uh, stolen election from Donald yeah. Trump, how has it affected Great Britain, uh, the EU, and the world? What do you think? Well, I mean, it, it's, almost, it's almost a joke. But I mean, I guess the whole thing is, in a way, stolen election means that Great Britain and the EU have ceased to talk about America in any way that's meaningful. The media has stopped talking about him because there's nothing now interesting to say or easy to say from their perspective. And they all have a kind of, they're all mourning the loss of Trump, the media, because that was the easy, fun story that gave them the most clicks, and now they haven't got it anymore. Um, So it's almost as if the moment he left office, everybody stopped talking about America uh, and we haven't really heard a thing about Biden or anything, more, largely because nobody's seen him and because all he's doing is signing executive orders that he doesn't know what he's signing. So it's almost like it's just gone perfectly quiet. And, and the world, from an EU perspective and a UK perspective, we've forgotten that America is this. Uh, and that's about as crazy as it's possible to get. Um, people just want it to quietly go away, the fact that the election was stolen, and quietly imagine that you know America is now back to being a calm and orderly place where everyone's getting along just swimmingly and there's no problems whatsoever. Well, that might be the greatest propaganda of all that we've heard today. <laughs> yeah, well, that wouldn't exactly be the case. But, uh, Katie, well, we're, uh, we're sisters in the spirit. You know that. And um, I just appreciate your courage. You, courage breeds courage, and that's what you do in people, plus with a great sense of humor. <laughs> so I love it. Uh-huh. And uh, you please take care of yourself, and uh, we will uh, catch up with you again and just... Uh, We'll see if we can't stand firm. I remember all those movies uh, of how the British stood firm uh, during the bombing of the uh, the Nazis, the London bombings, the courage. Those movies just inspire me so much. So I guess maybe a steady dose of watching some of those and remembering, you know, your own lineage uh, and mine too because of my connection with Great Britain uh, should give us some courage and our own founding fathers here. Uh, so Katie Hopkins, thank you so much. Remember to follow Katie on Instagram. And then you can find out where she's going to be. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.